You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. New Life Church, how we doing? Good. That was actually pretty good. Usually you have to do that awkward thing where you ask once and then people are like, ah, and then you have, but that was really good for the first, for the first time. <laughs> That's good. Man, I am so glad that you are here, whether you're joining us in person or watching online. I see some new faces here, um, which is really cool. Uh, my name is Brad, and uh, I get to serve as the lead pastor here. And man, I, I love this community. I love what God is doing here, and it's such an incredibly exciting thing to be a part of right now, what God is doing um, in our church. And uh, I also just want to echo Josh, man, I am so excited for that 10th anniversary party. It is going, we've been working on it. It's going to be incredible. There's going to be some surprise guests from the past coming. Um, not all that big of a surprise. You can probably guess. Yeah, Jesus. Did somebody say Jesus? I love it. Jesus is not a guest from the past. He is always welcome here. Uh, <laughs> uh, but man, it's just going to be an incredibly, incredibly fun and exciting time of celebrating if you were with us last week, we started a new series called Witness, and our core longing as a church, our, our deepest longing is to see zero lives unchanged by Jesus. That is what we're going after. That is our heartbeat. And within that, there are kind of these five kind of culture markers that we have that call, we call our zeros, and those are all listed on the wall over there, and we're going to be working through each of those each week of this series. And so today, we are talking about this concept that we want to be a church where people are living with zero unfulfilled callings, that every single person that calls this their community, calls new life their home, knows what their calling is, knows what their purpose is, and is even more importantly, they are living into that calling and into that purpose. And so this morning, I want to begin by asking you a question. How many uses are there for a paperclip? How many uses are there for a paperclip? That is a dumb question. I know that. Researchers in education wanted to kind of measure creativity in students and kind of divergent thinking and to see like the innovators and things like that. So they asked them this question, how many uses are there for a paperclip? And the average person, the average kind of Joe, could come up with about 10 to 15 different uses for a paperclip. So a lot of the normal things, like you can, you can unbend a paperclip and clean out the dirt from your fingernails, right? Like... That's a really good use for a paperclip. Or you can use it as a Q-tip. I'm kid, don't do that. Do not take your medical advice from your pastor, okay? Don't do that. Or you, obviously, you can clip papers like the name suggests. Normal people could come up with 10 to 15 uses for a paperclip. But the really innovative thinkers, the really creative people, the divergent thinkers, they could come up with upwards of 200 uses for a paperclip. 200 uses. I sat down the other day and wrote up about 5,000 uses for a paperclip, so I'm really creating. No, I'm just kidding. You think I have time to do that? Heck no. <laughs> How are these people who could come up with 200 uses for a paperclip able to do that? Well, the way they were able to do it is they attached the paperclip to a larger story. They attached the paperclip to a larger story, so they would ask questions like, 
how would a secret agent need to use a paperclip? Like if I were James Bond or Jason Bourne, how would, how would I use a paperclip? They would ask questions that broke the rules, like can the paperclip be made of rubber and be 15 feet tall in the air because that would offer a few more uses for the paperclip. They would ask questions like can, what would I use a paperclip for if I were an astronaut on a spaceship with no gravity? I mean, all of those questions change the way that you view the paperclip. And the idea behind that is when you attach a bigger story to something so simple and so ordinary, it can do so many more things. And this might not be a surprise, but kids, generally speaking, were a lot more creative with uses for paperclip. And as kids grew up, that kind of ability went lower and lower and lower. It's why when you ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? They will give you some of the most crazy, off-the-wall answers, and they'll change their mind every other minute when you ask them that question. Right? Kids are creative thinkers. And, and some of us, some of us, we approach our lives the exact same way, that when we look at our lives, when we look at our jobs, when we look at our families, when we look at our neighborhoods, all we see is a paperclip. We don't see potential. We see, we see a paperclip. And, and I'm here to tell you this morning that where you may see just a paperclip, God sees so much more than that. Amen. God sees potential. God sees authority. God sees power when he looks at your life to be harnessed for his kingdom and his good. He sees so much more than just a paperclip. When he looks at your life, he sees what I would term a vocation. And often when we use that term vocation, we think of just our job. But vocation is such a bigger concept than just job. Vocation literally translated means voice. Vocation, bless you, is the story that you are telling with your life. Your vocation is the story that you are telling with your life. It is the story that you're telling in your entire network of relationships and responsibilities in your neighborhood and your job. Your vocation is the story your life is telling. The Quakers, which is like the oatmeal people, had a saying. <laughs> Let your life speak, is what they would say, that your life this idea that your life is telling a story. And one of, the, one of the people that we're tracking along with throughout this series as we look at the book of Acts is this guy named Saul who later became known as Paul. We'll use those terms, those names interchangeably today. Saul is a guy who eventually became Paul, and he summed up this idea of vocation this way in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. This is what he says if you want to put that on the screen, Marina. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is how Paul describes vocation, that the life, your story, that the story your life is telling, it's designed to bring glory to God. And so when you look at your life, you are not just your job, right? Some of us look at our lives and all we see is a job that's designed to make us money or be a means to an end, but you're not just your job, whether you're a student or a teacher, an electrician or an engineer, a stay-at-home parent, whether you're in sales or whatever your job might be, your life is so much more than just your job. Your vocation is the story that your life is telling. And the question for today is, is your life telling the right story? Is your life 
when you look at your responsibilities, your web of relationships and responsibilities, is your life telling the right story? Because Paul, Paul wrote the words from 1 Corinthians 10 from a place of knowing what it was like when he thought his life was telling the right story, but it actually was telling the complete opposite. It was telling the wrong story. And what I want to look at today is I want to look at Saul's conversion story when he meets Jesus and learns what it truly means to begin telling the right story with his life. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Acts chapter 9. That's where we're going to be kind of uh, planted today. Acts chapter 9. When we meet Paul, he is a Pharisee. He is kind of a bloodthirsty hunter of Christians, but he's doing it in the name of kind of religious duty and faithfulness and fidelity to God. His entire life's mission and goal when we meet Saul is for Israel to remain faithful to God, and he will do whatever it takes. He will remove any threat for that to happen, and the biggest threat in his day was the Jesus movement to that happening. So Acts chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if any belonging to the way, which is just the name given for the Jesus movement, if any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So you have this guy named Saul. He is the most deeply religious man that you can imagine. In fact, he's more religious than anybody sitting in this room, anybody watching online, and the reason I know that is because he says so. In Philippians 3, he says, if you think you have reason to put confidence in your behaviors or your abilities or your own flesh, I promise you, I have more than that. I, am, I was the most righteous of the righteous, the most flawless of the flawless. I kept the law to the letter. You see, Saul thought... He knew what God was like. He thought he had God figured out. He thought he knew what God wanted. He thought he knew how to carry that out. Saul thought he had God figured out. And so when you run into this movement of people that are saying, hey, God, the God of the universe became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, for Paul, that was utter heresy. It was false teaching. It was false doctrine. And he needed to eradicate that threat to the mission that he was on. You see, I think sometimes we look at the story of Saul and we just automatically assume that he was a really bad guy when we meet him. Because we look at it through our 21st century lens. But, but Saul, when he is doing his work, he genuinely and legitimately believes he is living out God's calling on his life. And he can point to different places throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, where any threat to Israel's fidelity to God is wiped out. And this was the story that he was living with his life. He wanted to get rid of this threat. He's essentially a religious nationalist that wants to see Israel elevated. And he invokes the name of God, genuinely believing that he reflects the heart of God. Saul thought he was doing God's work. But his life, his life was telling the wrong story. Is your life telling the right story? Is your life telling the right story? You see, some of us, when, when we go to work or, or when we approach our jobs, all we see is a paycheck to be earned. Maybe we don't particularly love our job. 
And so it's just a means to an end, a means to pay the bills, put food on the table, climb the ladder of success, or find some level of identity and fulfillment. And not all of those are bad things, but, but I might suggest to you that we can, we can approach our jobs in this way, assuming that we're living the right story, but God actually wants to get a hold of our hearts because he has something more for us than that. Maybe, maybe your coworkers, they, they know you go to church, but you're one of the people in your workplace who has the most consistently rotten attitude of everyone else there. So on one hand, they know you go to church, but then they also see what you post on social media. They know you go to church, but they also see the conversations happening around the lunch counter. They know you go to church, but your life, your life is telling a different story. For others of us, maybe, maybe we aren't employed in a formal work setting, but, but we look out at the world and we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people. We want what they have. We wish our life looked like theirs. And I would suggest to you that when we do that, our life is telling the wrong story. What we end up doing in that case is it's easy to move from job to job or marriage to marriage or community to community living the wrong story. You want to know if you're living the right story? I might suggest you ask this question right here. How would my absence impact the people around me? That's a really <laughs> practical, easy measure to know whether or not you're telling the right story with your life. How would my absence impact the people around me? In your job, if you quit or were fired, Imagine a void existing in your workplace because you are no longer there, which means your coworkers don't have an opportunity to experience, words are hard sometimes, experience the presence of Jesus on a daily basis. Imagine if that's the void you left by leaving your job. You know, I've sat with several people during the season, and I debated whether or not to go here, but I, I really think this is an important kind of framework for us to look at this with. I've sat with a lot of people who are really wrestling with a reality of losing their job over a vaccine. That's just the lived reality right now for a lot of people in our church. They're wrestling. They don't know what to do. And a lot of the questions that people are asking are really good questions. They're important questions. Questions like, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to survive? What am I going to do? But I might suggest to you, Maureen, if you can put that question back up there, that this question should be on the list of questions you are asking as you wrestle with this. How would my absence impact the people around me. You see, so many in our world, when we find ourselves in a place where we're up against a wall, what we do is we turn inward. We turn towards self-preservation. We turn towards me, 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 me. There's a lot of people saying me right now. And I get it. I understand it. I'm not here to shame or judge that. I, I understand that. But I don't hear a lot of people asking this question here. How would my absence impact the people around me? I think it's an important question to ask. What about in your neighborhood? Like, does your absence in your neighborhood just mean less HOA violations <laughs> in your baby for some of us? <laughs> I love it. But imagine, imagine if your absence in your neighborhood impacted more than that. It impacted the way neighbors interacted with each other. It impacted the way service happened in your neighborhood. It impacted people's uh, uh, 
driveways. Words are really hard for me this morning. Driveways not getting shoveled as often or leaves not getting raised. Imagine, imagine if there was a void left in your neighborhood because of your absence. This last one here, your school. I'm speaking to you students and teachers specifically. Would there be less love and encouragement in your classroom because of your absence? Would there be less speaking life into students because of your absence? Students, would there be more bullying in, their, in your school because of your absence? And the same question can be asked of the church, too. If new life were absent in this community, what would change? What void would be created? Those are questions we should ask to know if our life is telling the right story. And so when, when God looks at your life, he doesn't just see a job. He doesn't just see a paper clipper or something simple. He sees every part of your life bursting with potential for his glory. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, all of it, all of it is bursting with potential to tell the Jesus story with your life. He sees someone who is called to live a beautifully redemptive, messy story, not hiding the broken parts, not pushing them aside, but saying, this is who I am, this is what Jesus has changed in me, and this is who I am as a result of that. And when he sees people he loves living the wrong story, he is not afraid to intervene in that. And that's exactly what he does in Saul's life. You see, Saul is on his way, like we just read, to Damascus to continue um, afflicting and, and bugging Christians and uh, desiring to arrest them and bringing them back to Jerusalem. And this is what happens on his way. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. If you can picture Saul on this road, he's probably feeling pretty good about himself, right? Probably got his chest puffed up, his head held high, and he's walking along, and he is maybe whistling, I don't know, maybe he's whistling, and uh, he's walking towards Damascus, thinking he's doing the Lord's work, and all of a sudden, bam! Somebody just woke up. <laughs> he's hit with a light, and he encounters the risen person of Jesus, and he is knocked to the ground and probably peed himself a little bit, if we're being honest here, right? He's knocked to the ground, and he has this powerful encounter with Jesus, and he is disrupted by God because he is living the wrong story. And what Jesus says to Saul in this moment is pretty strange, because Saul is persecuting Christians, and Jesus doesn't say, you are persecuting them. No, what does he say? He says, you're persecuting me. You see, Jesus' perspective on his church is one of solidarity and union with him. That what is true of him is true of us, and what is true of us is true of him. That we are so united to the person of Jesus 
that when we are grieving, when we are hurting, the person of Jesus is hurting just as if it was his own body and his self. Why is this? Because his people are telling his story with their lives. Because his people, their lives and their deaths and their suffering and their joy and every single part of it, their jobs and their families and their neighborhoods, all of it is telling Jesus' story as if we were a literal extension of who he is in this world. Friends, a lot of people will ask, well, what's my purpose? What's my calling in this world? And I'm here to tell you, if you are in Christ, you have the same purpose as the person sitting next to you and the person watching online, and it is this right here, that your calling is to tell the story of Jesus where you are right now. Your calling is to tell the story of Jesus where you are right now. Amen. If you're like me, you... Uh, You've been watching Afghanistan pretty closely. And the stuff that Christians and believers are going through in Afghanistan, and so often what we'll pray or what we've been talking about here in America in that situation is this idea of getting everybody out. How can we get everybody out? How can we get the church out? How can we get everybody to safety? I'm here to tell you that is not what the church in Afghanistan is praying right now. You know what they're praying? Holy Spirit, give us the power to stay to tell the story of Jesus where we are right now, no matter what it costs us. You see, so often we think purpose and calling is tied to having the right situation or the right job or the right people around us. And some of that is certainly true, but more so than any of that, your calling is to tell the story of Jesus where you are right now. One of the things, and I've only lived in Wayland for two and a half years, but one of the things that I've observed is that Wayland is a pretty transient community, right? There's always people moving in. There's always people moving out or dreaming of moving out. There's people moving from relationship to relationship and family to family. And I'm, I'm not saying that from a place of judgment. I'm saying that as just kind of an observation that it seems to be happening a lot. And then when you add COVID into that, where pretty much everybody is ready and wanting to make big life changes. And then you had job dissatisfaction on top of that. I heard a stat this week that 80% of people are dissatisfied with their job right now in America. 80%. It's easy for us to believe that calling is somehow tied to finding the right job or finding the right people. And when we do this, we misunderstand the very nature of what Jesus calls us to do. You don't find your calling by finding the right circumstance. You find your calling by finding the person of Christ where you are right now. Amen. That's how you find your calling. You know, when we talk about this idea of purpose, we often talk about the idea of passion, right? Find what you're passionate about and run in that lane as fast and as far as you can. And that is, that is definitely true, but passion will not carry you alone in your purpose. Passion will wane. Passion goes up and down. Yesterday, I had a very, very challenging day with my kids, and my passion for them was not all that high. <laughs> right, but, but where passion passion falls short, purpose is what sustains. Purpose is what sustains. 
And your purpose is to live out the story of Jesus where you are right now. That's not to say God doesn't call people to new jobs and new locations. He absolutely does. He does that all the time. But if that's what you're waiting on to start living into your calling, you're going to miss what he has for you right here and right now. See, at the end of my life and at the end of yours, if you are in Christ, you will stand before God and he'll ask you this question right here. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your life? Were you faithful in the things that I asked you to be faithful in? Whether you're a custodian, a stay-at-home parent, a spouse, whatever resources you have, the question you will be asked is, were you faithful with the things that I gave you? Or were you always waiting for the next thing so that you just kind of missed it? You missed what God had for you. Friends, your, story, your calling is to tell the story of Jesus and your family, to love your spouse well, even and especially when they are unlovable. We all have unlovable spouses at times, every single one of us. We are unlovable spouses at times, every single one of us. Your calling is to tell the story of Jesus to your kids, praying with them, experiencing joy and laughter and celebration with them. Your calling is to tell the story of Jesus in your workplace. You can tell the story of Jesus by being the best possible employee, having the most integrity, having the most joy in your workplace. Your calling is to tell the story of Jesus in your neighborhood. I, I may have shared the story before, I don't remember. Uh, but in our old neighborhood, we lived in a, a suburb, and there was a guy named Glenn, he was an older guy, and he would walk his little uh, shih tzu dog named Sparty. He was a really big MSU fan, okay? Like flags all over the place. Yeah, calm, calm down. Uh, <laughs> he was a really big MSU fan. So he would walk his dog named Sparty. And Glenn is the type of guy that just, man, he's got the joy of the Lord inside of him. And uh, he just, he, uh, he's awesome guy. Really, really cool guy. But every time I would see him, I would kind of explain what I did. And, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor at the time and blah, blah, blah. But every single time I saw him, he would invite me to his church. The man evangelized to this pastor probably about 85 times in the time that I knew him. Guys, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, that's, that's what it means to find your calling where you are right now in your neighborhood. You see, Saul... Saul is left blind after this encounter with Jesus. He cannot see. The text says he goes to Damascus and he doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. God wanted Saul to go to Damascus. He didn't reroute his kind of trip. He wanted him to go to Damascus, but it was not for the reason that Paul thought he was going to Damascus. Watch what happens in verse 10 here. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, 
Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel." What Jesus is saying about Saul, it is time for this gospel message to go absolutely viral in the world. And my purpose for you is for you to be an instrument in doing just that. But these Gentile peoples, they are so far from God, he is not even a blip on their radar. They don't know God, they don't care about God, they have no frame of reference for who God is and what he's like. And so naturally, the person God calls, the person God calls to reach the godless is a hardline, fanatical, ultranationalist, super orthodox, Pharisaic Jew. <laughs> as if God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? And as if God cannot use people in the craziest of circumstances to give him glory no matter where they find themselves. You see, here's the thing. A lot of people will say, well, um, you know, Paul's or Saul's name got changed by God to Saul. It actually didn't. Saul and Paul are the same exact name. Saul is the Hebrew version. Paul is the Greek version. So Luke, the writer of Acts, just begins using the new name for Saul. He starts calling him Paul as a symbol of what God had done in his life. But he's living with the same name, essentially. It's an interchangeable name in his world. So God didn't give him a new name. He also, he sees Saul's intense passion, right? He sees that Saul has a desire for Israel to live faithful, to Israel to be, uh, to be true to who God is and what he calls him to be. And the only thing, the only piece of the puzzle that Saul did not see in that, which is a pretty significant piece of the puzzle, is that Jesus is the means by which God is doing just that. Same passion, just passion redirected. Same thing with location, right? We already said this. Saul was already on his way to Damascus. God already had him going to Damascus. He wanted him there. It just wasn't for a reason that he thought. Calling is just passion redirected. Same suffering. Just now he'll be the one experiencing the same suffering he put on other people. Same authority, right? Saul got his authority from the high priest, in Jerusalem. He, he still gets his authority from a high priest. It's just a great high priest that gives him his authority now. That's what God does in our callings. He takes us where we are right now and he redirects and he shows us that where you are, he can use you in really powerful ways. You don't need a new job to live in your calling. For some of us, that may be true, but you don't need one. You don't need a new family to live into the calling God has on your life. You don't need a new neighborhood. You don't need a new community. You need to learn faithfulness here and now in the story that God has called you to. Amen. God is a master at seeing paperclips and using them for his glory. Stop giving yourself so much credit. We, we're, not that, we're not that significant in this equation. Right? All our role is is not to discover what our specific purpose and calling is. It's to surrender and submit ourselves to how God wants to move. 
how God wants to do more in us. I have a, a mentor and, and my pastor, his name is Brian Bloom. Many of you know him. He, he's the pastor of the Zero Collective. It's a family of churches that we're a part of. And he just started using language years and years ago that has just stuck with me for my life. And I just want to share it with you. It's, it's this idea that our calling is all about yes before how. That God is looking for people who are willing to say yes to him before they know all the pieces of how he's going to work that out. Are you in a difficult situation in your job right now where you don't know how all of the pieces are going to fall? My encouragement to you would be to pay attention to what God is doing, to pay attention to what God is speaking to you in that situation and say yes to that, even if you don't know how all the other pieces are going to work out. See, God has a tendency of using our lives in ways that no one else could dream of. And it's in this moment where Saul is converted, where he becomes a Christian, where he is utterly sold out to the person of Jesus Christ, and he ends up writing a good portion of the New Testament. Like, chances are, you read a book in the New Testament, it's Saul or, or it's Paul that wrote it or a couple other people. There aren't a lot of people that wrote the New Testament, but, but Paul wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And what's really cool about reading this is Acts almost serves as like a telling of the story while he's writing letters to different communities uh, and different churches. And so you can read in real time what Luke is saying happened in Paul's life while Paul is putting these principles into practice as he's talking to different churches. And uh, so what happens is, is Paul ends up recounting his story multiple times throughout the New Testament. You can read the New Testament, and you'll see Paul's story of meeting Jesus come up over and over again. Two more times in the book of Acts alone, he tells his own story. And one of them is in Acts 26, and this is how he says it, which is just so incredible. This is what he says about his encounter with Jesus. I asked, who are you, Lord? Keep in mind, this is, this is later. This isn't right at the moment. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up and stand to your feet. I have appeared to you to reveal your destiny and to commission you as my assistant. You will be a witness to what you have seen and to the things I will reveal whenever I appear to you. I will rescue you from the persecution of your own people and from the hostility of the other nations that I will send you to. And you will open their eyes to their true condition so that they may turn from darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. By placing their faith in me, they will receive the total forgiveness of sins and to be made holy, taking hold of the inheritance that I give to my children. Friends, you are part of a bigger story than just what you're experiencing here and now. You're part of a bigger story than the day in and day out stresses of this life. You're part of a bigger story than just what you may dislike about your job or, or in the, the area that you're in. Maybe you're in a really tough season right now. You are part of a bigger story than that. As I look at the life of Jesus, I'm amazed by his faithfulness. The calling of Jesus Christ was the cross. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he was tempted Satan tried to pull him astray so many times, and he was absolutely resolute on the joy set before him, as Hebrews described it. The cross was Jesus' calling. 
And it's easy to look at Jesus and say, well, well, was he so resolute in that suffering and that, you know, desire to go to the cross because he was God? And I would say yes. But he was also resolute and so focused on that calling for his life as a fully, full, as a full man, <laughs> fully God and fully man at the same time, he was resolute on that calling. And you know where I think that resoluteness on his calling came from? It came from union with his father. You can't just say it was the God part of Jesus that led him to the cross. It was. It was also the human part of Jesus that led him to the cross. A human so connected to the heart of God that he went where God led him. He went where the father led him. And the same thing is true of us. We're not perfect like Jesus. Every one of us knows that. Neither was Paul. But what Paul does is he adopts a life of living in the calling God has for him as imperfect, and he'll talk about his imperfection as you read the the New Testament, as imperfect and as flawed as he is, it leads him to the place where he as a flawed man can say in 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I follow Jesus, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. That the life with Christ empowers us, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live this stuff out in our lives. You have every tool you need to tell the story of Jesus where you are right now. If you are in Christ, you have every tool you need to tell the story of Jesus where you are right now. Whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, all of it for the glory of God, all of it is telling God's story. I uh, was talking to uh, Doug Mutchler uh, a couple weeks ago, and Doug is um, just an incredible guy in our church, an incredible person in our community. And he was telling me a story the other day when he was at the beach with his family. And he was in the water, and he was playing with his grandson, and the waves were splashing up, and he was just having a great time, like fully invested in his grandson in that moment. Beautiful like picture of, of an incredible grandpa. But he gets out of the, the water, gets out of the lake, and goes back to his wife, Judy. And Judy says, Doug, where are your glasses? He's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I don't have my glasses. I don't know where they are. So he's like, you better go find them. So, so he goes, and they, it's, they're searching for the glasses. They're looking. They can't find the glasses anywhere. And all of a sudden, this guy starts walking up. And he's, Doug describes it. He's got a cigarette in one hand and a beer in his other hand. And he's, he's walking up, and he's like, what you need? Doug's like, well, I lost my glasses. So the guy like, looks around a little bit. He's like, oh, I think I just found him. He was like standing on him. So he picks him up and he hands him to Doug. And he says, here are your glasses. And Doug says something along the lines of, man, praise the Lord. Thank God. And then that simple statement led to a conversation about Doug's heart for the person of God, person of Jesus. Whether you eat or drink or lose your glasses at the beach or find yourself on the road to Damascus or find yourself in a job that may not be all that ideal for where you want to go, do it all for the glory of God. That conversation that Doug had with that guy led to a place where he had the opportunity to invite him to church. He had learned that this guy was a Christian at one time, but had just drifted. He used to play music in the church and just hadn't been a part of a church in a while. And so 
like Doug does all the time, he invited him to our church and um, encouraged him to find a church in his community and just really led to a really beautiful conversation. You don't have to know all the theological answers to have a conversation like that. You don't have to have every detail of your life sorted out and figured out to have a conversation like that. You just need to have a life that says, my life's story is to tell and share the glory of God wherever I go and whatever I do. Friends, you have a paperclip in your life. You also have one on your seat somewhere. If you wanna just grab that, grab the note card, there's a pen by your seat. And we're going to close in worship. And, and as we do this, there's a couple things that I want to just invite you to do. If you don't have enough around you, there are some in the front here as well. You can just make sure you have one. And I want you on this, on this card, this is yours to take home, to just answer this simple question as we close today. And the question is this. How is God calling me to tell his story in the world? How, how is God calling me to tell his story in the world right now? Maybe for you, that's just committing yourself to faithfulness where you are right now. Maybe some of you just write the word stay. Stay in the job. Stay in the marriage. Stay in the family. Stay the course on your parenting. Maybe some of you just write the word Stay. Maybe others of you, you, you have a name of a person that comes to mind, a neighbor, a coworker. And so maybe for you, you write their name down. Maybe for others of you, it's, it's taking a faith risk. It's stepping into a calling. It's stepping into a purpose. It's trying something new for the sake of the kingdom of God to tell his story in the world. It is a yes before how moment for you, and you need to say yes to something that God is tapping you on the shoulder to do. And then maybe there's others of you who just don't know right now. And you need to take this card home and you need to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart, to reveal, to illuminate, to expose what it is that he is calling you to do to tell his story in this world. I'm gonna close us in prayer this morning. And uh, as I do that, um, I just wanna open up the floor for prayer. If you want to pray just by yourself, just nobody else around, come to the foot of the crosses. There's a cross over here. There's a string cross on the wall there that you probably can't see right now. Um, just come to the foot of those crosses and just pray. Wrestle through this. Bring your card up with you. Pray over that name. Pray over that situation. Pray over that calling. If you don't know what to write on the card, pray over that. Come to the crosses and pray. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, if you want to pray with somebody, the stage is open in the front here. Tim and Laura have made themselves available to be available for prayer. They'd love to pray with you. So if you want to pray with someone, come to the stage. But let's all do something with God this morning. Don't leave stuck. Leave with renewed perspective, renewed vision, renewed hope for what God has called you to do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, for what you do, for what you've done, God. That you are the ultimate example of purpose and calling, that you gave up your life 
so that we could know you and belong to you forever and ever. God, I pray for people who are watching in this room, who are watching online, God, who maybe have struggled in this area of what is my calling. Maybe they have just experienced turnover after turnover after turnover in the season of COVID, and they are looking for solid ground to plant their feet on. And God, that person is here to hear this. You are that solid ground. And so God, I pray for people who are wrestling over calling, wrestling over tough decisions with their jobs right now or their vocation, God, and their families. God, I pray that you will speak to people directly in a way that only your spirit can. So God, this morning we respond to just lift your name high, to worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said.